Hello, ladies and gentlemen, Tardis O'Reilly here, and I am very excited to announce that I will be touring next year with a new show, Sport the Unauthorized History. I'm going all the way from the ancient Greeks to David Warner, you know, two things that often go together. I'm really excited about this show. It's everything from amateur sport to requiring you to take out a bank loan just to purchase a mid-strength beer at a game. I go through the highs, the lows, the heroes, the cheating, the corruption, and all the enjoyment that comes from watching England lose at the sports they invented. I'd love you to come. Uh, I'm starting off in Melbourne, five shows from the 14th of March to the 23rd of March uh, in Richmond at the Leadbeater Hotel. It's a great venue. I did my comedy festival there recently. I'd love to see as many of you as possible. And I'm looking to then take this around the country later in the year. So don't worry if you're not in Victoria. We will be doing it. Uh, usually tickets sell pretty quickly, so I'd get on soon and I'd love to see all the Sports Bazaar fans there as well. That's Titus O'Reilly, Sport, the Unauthorised History. It's on sale now and I'll put the link in the show notes. It's Sports Bazaar. This is where the trouble starts. It's like a party switch has flipped on. We're not here for a haircut. The hunt for the weirdest. You're blowing my mind. I can't keep it. You fact check this. There is no logic to any of what's going to happen. Strangest. Wow. This is outrageous. It's not for the ages. Things are just going to get sillier and sillier. No red flags there. Most unbelievable. Volatile. Erratic. Simple. And clinically insane. Stories to ever occur. There's a lot of our stories that start with someone fleeing moneylenders. This is not the perfect preparation. In the world of sport. This is the opposite of perfect preparation. <laughs> this is the worst. Sports Bazaar. Yeah, were you saying horse whipped as in he was actually horse whipped? Yeah, uh, he said there's only one thing for it. I ordered hair of the dog. <laughs> of rabble of vagrants, drunkards, ruffian brawlers and gambling desperada. So like the Sports Bazaar audience. <laughs> it's time for the leaders of the hunt. Inept at best and corrupt at worst. <laughs> it's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar. Am I being presumptuous in saying our last full episode for the year? For the year. Apart from a series of specials you'll be doing over summer. Yeah, I've recorded a few interviews already. Yes. Some I haven't recorded. (laughs) Some have been last minute cancellations. (laughs) No, but I have. Maybe we'll talk to our members about that. We might do that. It's not for general consumption. (laughs) But there's been trouble at Mill. <laughs> no, but uh, but on the flip side, I've got a bunch in the can already, so of good interviews coming up. We've got summer. some classics, and we've still got plenty of eps. And we're back in the new year, yeah, so yeah. we're not going anywhere. But right now, for our last episode, we're in the middle of our two-part Keith Miller classics. Yes. Uh, the first ep uh, was riveting stuff, and it's brought us to the end of the Second World War. It's just over. He's larger than life. It's another film that needs to be made. Bring us up to speed. Well, it's the end of the war in Europe. So Keith Miller's fighter pilot, yeah. flying mosquitoes, he is still technically serving because the war in Japan has serving not Serving the ladies, if yeah. I remember <laughs> yeah. correctly. And there'll be a lot of that. <laughs> uh, but he's the war in Japan is still going on. So yeah. he and his squadron so don't there's know. A chance, there's a chance. Yeah. The average service person didn't know about the atomic bomb. So they're thinking we might have to go to Japan and fight. Okay, so yeah. they were all a bit like on edge. Immediately as World War II was wrapping up in Europe, mm. they wanted to organise a series of tests in England between Australia and England to sort yep. of celebrate the war being over, sure. right? Because cricket had been cancelled. We're back, baby. We're back kind yeah. of thing. There were sensitivities though because the war still was in Japan. 
So it was decided rather than having the Australian team play the English team and act like everything had gone back to normal, it was an English team yeah. versus an Australian service 11, they called it. So it was the combination of the Air Force mm. and the Army cricketers who were serving. Right. They called the victory test and they weren't acknowledged as proper tests. Mm. The Australians thought they were going to lose. They thought their team wasn't as good. Wasn't as good. So they thought... Let's not do it. The last series in England should not have been regarded as a proper test series either <laughs> for all the whining that went on. Good Lord. They were the spirit of the game is the what matters. The spirit of the game. It's all you need to think about. So there was a guy called Sir Pelham Francis Warner who was known as Plum Warner, very famous in English cricket. He was the guy that came up with the idea. Plum. Plum's not a great nickname for someone involved in cricket. <laughs> He's, he, out. Here he is. Old, old Plum, Plum again. All me plums. <laughs> he was very keen to do these series of matches. And so he was actually talking to Prime Minister of Australia, John Curtin. So yeah. he was over in London at the time. And so was Field Marshal Thomas Blamey, who was one of the top people in the Australian Army. And he's saying, could you let some of your top cricketers that are still fighting in Japan bring them over so they can play in yeah. this? He said to Sir Thomas Blaney, Warner said, where are Hassett, who was potential captain of Australia, yes. and his players, where are they he, now? And he said, oh, well, they're dotted about the South Pacific. We do have a war on out there too, you know, <laughs> is what he said. Yes. And then Prime Minister John Curtin says, well, you Englishmen will always be able to find enough Australians to defend those 22 yards, meaning the cricket pitch yep. out there. Lords and its traditions belong to Australia just as much as England. And then so Pop Warner says, well, we could do with a few more of them here to, to be in the victory test. Could sure. you release them from service? And Curtin turns to Field Marshal Blaney and says, we could send some over, Blaney. What's to stop us? And Blaney says, only a few million Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> so finally they actually agree to release these cricketers yeah. and send them over to play in these tests. So it became quite a big deal because right. this felt like it was getting back to normal. And it's like the surfing scene in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get them in there. <laughs> and so suddenly, you know, this was quite hard to do. So consider some of this, you know, we'd had Keith and Camilla had been flying mosquitoes and flying over Europe. Just yeah. This is happening like 11 to 13 days. The test is sort of after war has finished in sure. Europe. So it's, it's not like a year later. Yeah. It's 11 days afterwards. To give you an idea, Keith Carmody, who was selected for the Australian team, he had been shot down early in 945 while attacking four German ships off Holland. He's rescued by a German boat and placed in solitary confinement and marched 240 kilometres to a concentration camp near Berlin. Okay. He's then liberated by the Russians who held him through a very grim month of April. Then he escapes and after dodging a whole bunch of German leftover yeah. army and Russians, he manages to get back and they hear that he's free and going to be back in time. He's good to go. So these are the people that are playing, right? They're literally just out of yeah. concentration camps, yeah. some of them, okay. prisoner of war camps. Um, so this is a you know huge thing. Now the first test at Lords, it kicks off, and you gotta remember this is it's sold out. Most of the people there are in uniform. Like they give yeah. lots of tickets to the military and the armed forces. Yes. And the people playing, like people like Keith Miller, have served in the war. Yeah. And he's not well known at this stage. But the English crowd are appreciating these Australians because sure. like, they've served their country and yeah. the British okay. over there. So there's this great feeling. One of them, Graham Williams, he was a South Australian. He was the opening bowler. And he walked out to bat at Lords in the first test. 
Just a fortnight earlier, he'd been released from a prisoner of war camp and he had lost 31 kilograms since he was captured by the Germans at the start of the war. He was shot down in Libya. Yep. So he's been four years in prisoner of war camps and when he walked out, the whole place stands and applauds. Can't be believed that he's made it to Fantastic. even be out there. He bowls eight wicketless overs. Yeah. This was a, a huge task. He had to drink gallons of this thick glucose drink to be able to do it, to yep. stop him collapsing. That's how emaciated he was. And in the heels of his boots were scooped out halves of oranges to stop the jarring of when he bowled. Ground. So Keith Miller says this is the greatest moment he's ever had in cricket, like just this spiritual yep. reaction to what's happening. Amazing. And he said Williams just looked bewildered looking at the crowd. It was just absolutely amazing. And um, so they play, Miller plays fairly well and in the second innings he scores 105 runs in 210 minutes, gets a century and people are suddenly saying, wow, who's this Keith he's Miller guy? He's got their attention. He's got their attention. He's going incredibly well. The Times wrote, it's as good a century has been seen at Lords in many a long day. And Australia go on and win this. In the middle of all this, Japan do surrender, so they play five tests. Oh, that's some good news. Yeah, the Japanese give up. And that means Miller's basically, his squadron's disbanded. And he is awarded the 939-45 star, the France and Germany star, the Defence Medal, the War Medal, and the Australian Services Medal. So he Bravo. is like, you know, his war service is over. But there's one drawn test and the, these tests finish two all. But they're seen as this cathartic, Things are getting yep. back to normal. The war's over. People are in pretty good mood in London <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And, and Miller just loves it. He's just having a great time. Yeah. And he's suddenly known. They do an extra one, which is England versus the Dominions. So New Zealand, South African, <laughs> Australian. <laughs> That's what they called them then. And he puts on this amazing performance. He made 185 runs in this game. Yep. But he does it at a speed. He does the century in 115 minutes with anyone who knows Test cricket. Unbelievable. He is hitting so many balls into it's the in a session, basically. Yeah, in a session. And this is a time where people didn't play like this, right? Yeah. Is like, you know, the current BBL Correct. T20. Uh, but Basball, if you like. Yeah, Basball. But he, he hit so many sixes into the members that they retreat into the bar. <laughs> I, I, they wouldn't need a second invite to go I'm to the bar. To say, I've, I've seen the, the members at Lord's. In, in our bonus episodes, you have gone. Uh, there is, if you want to hear Mick's take on Lord's members uh, when he was there, uh, sit on your boaters. So he's the, this is going incredibly well for him. He, on the way back, he goes through India. So he wants to get home after the war. I bet he does. He's engaged. But he wants. He hasn't been home for like years. Yeah. He's fought the war, and now they make him do this tour of England. Then they say, "Oh, this has been so good. We're going to send this services team through India and Sri Lanka, which was settled on at he's the time, representing his country again." Yeah, when he's in India, there's a huge pro-independence riot in Calcutta while they're playing a game of cricket, and Miller's friend Dennis Compton, who's a bit of a playboy, yes. was the same. He's on eighty-eight night out, and the protests are all kicking off. And it's a mixed team of English and Australian uh, players. Yeah. And suddenly Dennis Compton's at the crease and the, the whole field is invaded by these protesters. <laughs> and this man goes up to him and says, you play very fine innings for us, Mr Compton, but you must go. Our friends have been shot by the British police. Get off. And Compton doesn't know what to do because it's like a riot happening. Yeah. And he says, well, Hassett, who's the uh, Australian captain, is batting with him. He says, you better speak to Mr Hassett. He's in charge around here. And he points to Lindsay. Yes. Hassett. And so the leader of the rioters goes up to Hassett and it comes up all threateningly and all Lindsay says is, have any of you fellas got a cigarette? 
and they all stop writing to look for a cigarette to give him. And then he, they, the ride ends and he walks off all calm. Like those. So this is like what he's going through. He gets back to Australia and they say, you have to play six more matches in all the states to revitalise cricket in Australia. So he's, all he wants to do is go home. Yeah. And, but he dazzles across all these games and people say he's going to play in the proper test when okay. it gets started. He makes his test debut in New Zealand in 1946 and plays relatively well. He also gets back into football, which he hasn't played since right. before the war. He goes back and plays in the VFL for St Kilda. They finish second last, but he does get to play for Victoria, represent Victoria. So he's one of the few cricketers that were both representing the top Incredible. level in Victoria, football and cricket. He finally thinks, and he's been umming and ahhing about this, do I honour my promise to marry Peg and fly to America? And he really is arming and hiring it. Yeah, and he hasn't seen it for three and a half years. Mm. He's arming out, but he decides, I'm going to do it. He flies over there. They hit it off very well again, luckily. All good. And he marries her, brings her home. He's suddenly worried about money because this is when cricket didn't pay any money, yeah. really, of note. So he needs a job. So this is what it's like. He says to the company in doing filing, remember, for accounts. Yes. Can I have two weeks off to go marry this woman in America, and they say, because he's been at the wharf three years, I think you've had enough time off recently and don't give him time off. <laughs> that is harsh. <laughs> they, were, they were harsh back then. Like, One the of my favourite stories, Singapore Cricket Club, after the war, yeah. all their members were from the colonial era yeah. and a lot of them were Englishmen and, and other servicemen from other countries yeah. from the Commonwealth. When they came back after the war, the Singapore Cricket Club would not allow them in until they'd paid their outstanding bar bills <laughs> from before the war. It, it's like they've been, it's not like they've been dodging you. Yeah. They've been being shot at. Yeah. And they've come back, oh, hang on. Hang on. Before we allow you into, you owe us uh, 50 quid. It's like because everyone had been to war almost. It was like it wasn't a big deal. They just all went, nah. So they said to him, no. So he decides, I need to find money. I've got this new wife. Yeah. She's coming to Australia. Then he gets off as a job with a liquor sales company, so booze, okay. alcohol in Sydney, and he moves. This causes a lot of the Victorians. Peggy's family was him. wealthy, though. They, they were wealthy, but she wasn't, and he, he knew he wanted, there was a manner in which she was accustomed. He believed at the time yeah, he okay. needed to keep her in. You know, it was an old-fashioned thing. It starts in this liquor sales job, which means driving around from pub to pub selling booze. Yeah. Now, this turned out to be a terrible job. The Not only person I can think of that would be worse at this job is you. And I'll tell you why. He works out that going and selling spirits and liqueurs to every bottle shop, that's what he's selling, yeah. it's very sociable and every pub owner and barman in town, yeah. when he shows up, goes, you're Keith Miller. Yeah. Like he's just breaking. It's not like he's an old player. He's no, no, just he's... started breaking him into the <laughs> – He's just. it's like a modern-day Australian test team player. Yeah, absolutely. It's the equivalent of like if you're in America, it's like Tom Brady walking in when he's – Starting his so career as quarterback, going, would you like to? You know, and of course, you got to try before you buy. Yeah. so he's got to sit down yeah. and try the produce with with them. Public. They were all insist. They say, well, "I Boy. won't buy unless you," you know. And he's a social guy too. He's always been a beer drinker, but suddenly, all afternoon, he's drinking Contro and Creme de Men, oh, <laughs> and he's just a write off. Oh, man. Uh, Peg becomes incredibly unhappy because he's just smashed. He's he on comes the road home getting from, hammered. He, yeah, and he comes home from work every day just ripped completely. Even for him, just yeah. even he's going, this is like too much. This isn't fun. 
<laughs> he's doing this the whole time. After three weeks, it's all too much. And he's not enjoying the hangovers either. And after three weeks, he quits. So he's suddenly in Sydney without a job. Okay. So then he's lucky because being a big sports star, Eric Kennedy is the chief executive of Australian Associated Newspapers Limited. And he says, we're starting a new magazine called Sporting Life. Come be a columnist and journalist for that. Sure. And offers him a lot of money to do it. And he says, yes. That's better. And he loves it. And he actually liked writing. He turns out to, he has ghost writers sometimes, but he's very good at identifying good at stuff. And if you read his books, some of them are ghostwritten, but he is happy to say things. So like in his book, Cricketing Crossfire, he totally goes the tonk on Bradman saying what a terrible person he is sure. at time. Like Not the Lone Ranger, by the way. Yeah, but he's writing it at the time. Yeah, no, okay. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he, he's, publicly. Yeah, and he's not doing one of those biographies you read and go, I learned nothing from that. His he's are like insane. really pulling no punches. So he's a very good sports copywriter. Okay. He learns one day that his editor, who he really likes, keeps getting these coded messages handed and he has to pass them on and he's looking at them and he realises these are coming in on big race days. And Keith being big race thing goes, what are these? And he goes, well, let's just say these are more than reliable tips. <laughs> if you don't tell anyone, I'll cut you in on it. Thank you. So suddenly this is another line of money for him because <laughs> they're getting all the tip-offs. I love this. He then has to do his first ever Ashes debut and it's at the Gabba. It's in Australia, 946 to 47. He'd starred in the Victory Test, so he was, you know, well-known to many, but he'd never been seen play in Australia. And Don Bradman, who was captain, had never seen him play since before the yes. war. Him and Don Bradman are polar opposites yes. as people, as what they believe in all this. So, for instance, Bradman basically was, and you know this, completely ruthless. Yes. Cricket meant anything, everything. He was like Michael Jordan well before Michael Jordan. Yeah. It was like you just didn't win. You had to dominate and send a message. Yeah. And you know the Michael Jordan documentary says, I talk about personally all the time. Yeah. Bradman took everything personally yeah. and he would just destroy someone if sure. they had embarrassed him or whatever. Keith just fought a war, which Bradman <laughs> didn't, you know, and he's like, he's, mate, well, I'm lucky to be alive. Who cares? It's a cricket match. A bit more laissez-faire yeah. in his approach. Yeah. In the first Ashes test, Miller is bowling to Bill Edrich, who's an English batsman, and Bill Edrich had flown in the RAF in the war, as did Miller, and they yeah. were friends. So here's another guy who's flown the war yeah. with him, risked his life. And Miller thought, look, you know, here's my old service mate. The last thing he wants after five years' war is to be flattened by a cricket ball. So he's not, he's easing up a bit and not bowling really fast yeah. or, or bounces at him, trying to knock his head off. Bradman comes up and says, Don't slow down, Keith, bowl quicker. And he says, This just totally put him off cricket and Bradman. He's like, yeah. Mate, there's bigger things than cricket. Sure. He did later in, like a few years later, bounce. Edrich quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't against it always, but he was uh, like time wears on. Yeah. He did like another time he bowled consecutive bumpers in this Ashes test to Godfrey Evans, who was also a good friend, and then said to him, Sorry, Godfrey, but I had to do it as the crowd are a bit bored at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a mercurial guy like that. Yeah. Now he never really got o along well. He used to complain at another one in this Ashes one that Bradman was not giving him the fielding setup he wanted. So right. he's like, I'm bowling a certain way. You need to move another fielder over there. And Bradman's like, no, nah, I'm not doing it because, you know, the captain sets it. And so he's getting more and more annoyed. 
and he gets more and more annoyed. And then at one stage, Bradman throws the ball back to Miller, you know, back to the yes, bowler, as, so, as everyone does. After the, you've bowled the ball wherever it's ended up, the fielding team gives it back, throws it back to the bowler, a bit like a catcher throwing it back sure. to the bowler in baseball. And you throw it at about waist height, they catch it softly. Yeah. Right? Bradman throws it and it's just a bad throw and it lands at Miller's feet. That's not on. And Miller looks at him like I'm like working my butt off here and you're making me bend down with this. Yeah. And anyone else would have just picked it up, right? Miller looks at the ball on the ground. He's in front of the crowd, looks at Bradman, who is the Michael Jordan of cricket at the time, kicks it along the ground back to him. And the whole crowd goes, <gasps> like, what is going on? Like, yeah. this is just absolute defiance. Bradman looks down at the ball like, what? <laughs> should I pick this up? Bradman decides, well, he bends down, picks it up, and then throws it to another fielder to throw back to <laughs> So it's this whole. Oh, so, that's a quiet trip home in the car. Yeah, that a, is the cricket equivalent. This is where they're getting to where they're just really not getting along well at all. and they The tension's been, obvious. The tension's there. In 948, they then go to England for Ashes Tour, and this is the tour that's known famously as the Invincibles Tour. Yes. This is Don Mad Bradman's greatest team. They go and play 31 matches, tests, county cricket games, everything, win every single match. They win yeah. 31 matches. It's never been done before yeah. or since. It's known as the Invincibles, this team. Miller loves being back in England. He's on this tour. He loves England for so many reasons. He's had the cricket success there. He fought the war there. Yes. He's made He's well a lot of friends. There. He's loved over there, you know, even He's, more. Like in Australia he is, but, you know, there's – He's loved. Um, he's got all his war buddies there, so he's he's mixing with royalty and he's a couple of mistresses. He's got that's the other thing, right? Is um, in England, he's away from Peg, and eventually they have mm. children, and you know he's away from them. Sure. And so he does this thing where he he goes home to Australia over the rest of his life and has the family time, has the yeah. stability, but then he goes away for six months. He's a sailor on shore, and he's just basically acts like he's single. Yeah. Right, and so he loves England. It's just like so. No iPhones. Even if someone took photos of you doing something, the media just normally didn't even Would print not it. Report it. Not report it. So it was. <sighs> I know you. You no, regret that. You... Unbelievable. It's just, <laughs> what happened to the world? Lost its morals. <laughs> uh, once again, him and Bradman keep coming up against each other in just their approach to the game. So in one of the early warm-up games, Australia scores a record 721 runs. <laughs> like they just brutally He's just pounding him into the ground. And he, no need for that. And people are saying to Bradman, some of the other players are going, come on, come on, let's declare we don't need any more runs. But he's going, no, you don't remember before the war England did, there's a famous match where before the war where England just did that to him. Yeah. And he's like never forgiven and never forgotten. So he's like... <laughs> The rest of his career is like there is no mercy for no, the English ever. Yeah. Lesson learnt. So Miller comes out to bat. The score's two for 364. <laughs> it's a warm-up game too. It's not even, you know. He allows himself to be bold first ball and turns back around to their wicketkeeper and goes, thank God that's over and just walks off. So he's just like, I'm not playing. I don't need to be. You yeah. can do it, but I'm not. Miller also have to, had to bowl through pain because – Depending on what you read, either that wrestling match he had or crashing the plane, he had a sore back. Sore back. He often, as he walked back to bowl, had to press a disc of his back back into place. That's Jeez, how bad it was. So it was real pain. And they didn't so, rotate the bowlers then either, did they? No, you, you were, were just tour, you were, And he was an all-rounder. He was expected yeah. to bat too, you know. Yeah. So 
Bradman asked him the night before the test at Lords. He said, "Are you right to bowl?" And he says, "I don't think I am right to bowl tomorrow. I'll bat, but I don't think I'm up to. I'll field and bat, but I don't think I can bowl." Yeah. And so Bradman goes, "Okay." Ray Lindwall bowls the first over, mm. and Miller's in slips. And at the end of the over, Bradman tosses the ball to Miller and says, "Have a bowl." What? And Miller is like, "I reckon he thinks because this is in front of the crowd, I'm gonna have to I'm, do- I'm gonna have to do it." And there's always this sense that Bradman thinks Miller's playing up his back problems, where Miller sees it as I fought in a war and crashed several times. You don't get why didn't you Bradman? Don't get what by the way, like. is there a reason why Bradman didn't fight in the war? He had uh, some. He was a lot older. Like he's fought, Bradman's yeah, forty okay. for this tour, and second, which in those days was old. <laughs> yeah, it was not, very, yeah, not that's right. 40. That's like eighty, you know. <laughs> yeah. And also, he um, he had a, a disease that gave him a lot of aches and pains and stuff. That was all a legit sure. thing. But okay. there was always this divide between who'd actually fought in the war I, I and who hadn't. And Miller was someone who could say, "Well, yeah. I'd really done yeah. my bit." In front of the crowd, Miller just throws the ball back and says, "I'm not bowling." And the whole crowd's watching this again. So it's a bit like the kicking the ball back yeah. and forth. This is happening very publicly. The media are writing it up the next day. So this Miller-Bradman thing is in it's the press. It's a dick move from Bradman. So after the game, Bradman came into the dressing room and went at them all. He says, I'm 40 and I can do my full day's work in the field. And Miller snaps in reply, so would I if I had fibroitis, which is the disease, the nerve and muscle pain yeah. disease that Bradman does have. But Miller's basically saying, yeah, if I had yours, I'd be fine. It's got, I've got something much worse. So yeah. they're fighting in the dressing room. The thing too, and in some ways Bradman's also right, because Miller would play better if he wasn't hungover, which he often was. Yes. He was often late. Yeah. He often he seemed to just get disinterested in the game and throw his wicket away. So Bradman felt attention. inclined to... So Bradman was right sometimes, yeah. and, okay. and, right. and 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 so it's not all Bradman's evil. Bradman did like Miller; he just thought he didn't take cricket seriously yeah. enough. They had it more complex than it seemed at times. Okay, Sid Barnes, a teammate of Miller's, said if Miller had the same outlook, this ruthless thing as Bradman or Ponsford, he would have made colossal scores, and he would have been the statistician's greatest customer. There is so many people that basically say if Miller had taken cricket seriously as yeah. like anyone yeah. else. He would have been one of the, he would have been possibly the all time great. Like that's how good he was. But he always just didn't. One story had Don Bradman, who's captain, obviously answering a knock on the door late one night in his hotel. And he sees Miller standing there in a dinner suit. And it's like 11 30 at night, you know? (laughs) And and Miller says to Bradman, You said I had to be in bed at curfew. I was. Now I'm going out. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, win the toss tomorrow, bat. Yeah. Another one was at the end of the Lord's Test, Miller had attended a concert and a party and he returned to the hotel at dawn the next morning just before breakfast, right? Bradman notices this and addresses him as Keith rather than his nickname Nugget. No, he's called the golden boy of Australian cricket by journalists, so they call him Nugget and it shows that he's not very happy. Australia are due to play Surrey at the Oval on the same day and Keith Miller's got home at dawn with no sleep. So Bradman wins the toss, decides to field, and instead of putting Miller in the slips where you don't have to do much walking, he puts them on the out on fine leg boundary so that between each wicket he has to walk almost halfway around the oval each time. Right? So this is happening as punishment, right? You're going to have to be in the worst place to Left field. Left hand, right hand bat. Yeah. You have to change move of every over. oval. Oh, yeah. man. So you're, instead of just standing at slips barely moving, you're going to be doing yeah. a lot of Ks out in the field. 
between overs, a spectator leans over and they can all see that Miller is struggling. And he says, this spectator says, I can lend you my bike. <laughs> right? And Miller says, that's a good idea. So a few minutes later, the bike's passed over the fence <laughs> at the end of the over and Miller cycles to the opposite fine leg <laughs> position and the crowd's laughing as are all the cricketers and even Bradman, to his credit, has to laugh and soon after he brings him closer into the wicket and says, like, your punishment's done. So while he's in England, this is partly why he loves England, they've finished a test match and as... Was always the case, he spends a long time in the dressing room, he rests afterwards and he's bowled a lot and batted a lot and he usually takes a while. And this well-dressed gentleman walks in and it's just him and Miller in the change room. And the gentleman says, Mr Miller? He says, yes. The man says something and Miller says, sorry, what was that? He says, Margaret would like you to join her at the embassy club. Oh boy. And Miller says, Margaret, a who? He says, Princess Margaret. So this is Queen Elizabeth's sister. Here we go. At yeah. this time, Queen Elizabeth was just Princess Elizabeth. Yes. And Miller stops brushing. And at the time, Princess Margaret was like, I mean, a bit like the Kate Middleton of before. Sure. Like she, she was the very eligible daughter. She was seen as the most attractive of the family. And a bit of a goer. And a bit of a and, and a fun. Well, yeah, and a fun rebellious because yeah. she was the second sister. She wasn't going to inherit the crown. It was her sister. Like so one could, out, one back, all often having a good time. Yeah, she was the Prince Harry in female form a little yeah. bit, but Prince Harry in his early years less yeah. now. So well, she, in that she could have sport. fun. Good. Everyone says she was great fun. Yeah. Loved to drink, loved to hang out. Yeah. And because this was in a time where pe- the papers didn't report these things unless they would, you know, like you could go out and have fun. So the man says, I work for the princess. And so Miller's suddenly interested. So really what club was that again? Says the embassy in Bond Street at 8 p.m. tonight. And Miller is exactly what Princess Margaret would like. Tall, good-looking, famous, fun. Bit of a playboy. Bit of a playboy, right. Got it. Ticks all the boxes. So Miller goes home to the hotel, gets changed, and he walks out and Don Bradman's in the lobby. And Don Bradman says... uh, oh, I'm off to Buckingham Palace to have dinner with the royal family. And Miller goes, oh, that's interesting. I'm off to a party with Princess Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently he goes and meets the princess at Embassy Club and meets all her friends and they get on incredibly well and they party a few times over this tour and it becomes out as rumours, and this is still to this day never substantiated one way or the other, that they had an affair, basically, that lasted over I'd like a to think few they did. times. And I'd like to think they did. I hope, you know, they did, but uh, you don't know. I'm now, leaning towards they did. It's, there's a bit of well, the circles. Evidence, so they seem confident with this. A lot rumor. of people say, and then others say it's never been substantiated. So take from a wise. One thing, some of the little bits of information uh, that we've got is um, Miller somehow acquired the princess's own royal standard, a flag she'd been given by the king on her 18th birthday. <laughs> yes. And Lindsay Hassett and Ian Johnson, who were teammates of Miller's, spotted it in Miller's hotel room and Miller didn't say how he happened to have it in possession and Hassett remarked, seems you have raised your standard in more ways than one. (laughs) (laughs) And interestingly, Miller sent it back to Australia but sent it to his parents' house in Melbourne, not back to Peg and their home. Well, that's telling. Which, so, that, so that's some of the, This is all circumstantial but it's... Lover. Exactly. It's circumstantial but, you know, like yeah. it's pretty... It's looking yeah. like something. Uh, they also visited Windsor Castle, the whole team, 
not not to yes. Princess Margaret, but a, a, a general thing. And this just shows you how in Miller is. He's way more social than Bradman and sure. everything too. Lord Tedder, who was the deputy to General Eisenhower in World War II, so the second in command of all the forces in D-Day, and the, he was in charge of all air service personnel and operations for Europe. Yeah. So pretty big guy and has been made a lord and all this. He joins them at Buckingham Palace for tea and he sees Miller, who he loves and has befriended him back in the war. And he pretends to be a waiter and comes up with a full tray <laughs> in his hand and he approaches Miller and says, excuse me, sir, your tea, sir. And Miller in an exaggerated English <laughs> aristocrat voice says, thank you, boy. Here you are, lad, and hands him a penny. <laughs> and the whole, his teammates all go, that's Lord Tanner. That's like, this yeah. guy's like second to Eisenhower in the war sure. and you're treating him, <laughs> you know, you guys are playing this game. And Tedder says, thank you very much, sir, and does a deferential tug of his cap as he backs away. Fantastic. Yeah, it's just like another, and this is where Miller's fun. Like yeah. Even like, you know, another time Miller and a few teammates together with some Australian uh, newspaper guys, they're invited by Prince Philip, who at this point is married to a, Princess Elizabeth, yes. who's going to become Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Philip says to them all, why don't you all come back to my hotel room for a drink? It's early afternoon. It's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Wow. It's a very hot afternoon. They've got a day off. And Prince Philip and Miller get along. They bump into each other all the time during the next, the rest of their lives, yeah. right? They get along well. They like a drink. Miller's always got like a broken nose or a black eye because he's always getting in fights sure. or jealous husbands are hitting him. Yeah. And Prince Philip, he always seems to bump into Prince Philip when that's happened. He, so Prince Philip, yeah, yeah, Prince Philip's always like teasing him about it. Prince Philip says, come in, have a drink. And they all walk in there and the Duke's guests, they look and the door to the adjoining suite is open and they're all waiting there. Prince Philip says to one of the newspaper men, would you mind going to the loo and just flushing it until I tell you to stop? And the pressman's like, okay, because it's like Prince Philip. He's yes. like, uh, okay. So he goes and does it. They're all like going, this is weird. And then on his return, this newspaper man, Prince Philip goes, you can stop. You can stop now. And he stops. And he, the guy comes back in and he realizes that Prince Philip has opened two bottles of French champagne. And he says to the pressman, her majesty, meaning Princess Elizabeth, <laughs> is in the next room and she's not too keen about be drinking so early in the afternoon and these corks can be awfully noisy. Fantastic. <laughs> this is great. So this is the fun Miller's having, right? Yeah. Miller's loving life. He's like, you know, he's attractive. So young. He should. Yeah, and after the war it's like all... After this tour, Bradman, to his credit, is full of praise for Miller. He says he's the best slip fielder in the world. He's a great bowler. He did say, though, altogether a crowd-pleasing personality whose limitations are caused mainly by his own failure to concentrate. So that's Bradman's take on this tour. So it's like a report card, a serious report card. Yeah. When Miller is getting on the ship to come home to Australia, this is all pre-flights mainly, He's asked, what are the three most beautiful things about England? And Miller said, the hills of Derbyshire, the legs sweep of Dennis Compton and Princess Margaret. <laughs> wow. In no particular order. Yeah, that's like, you know. Sorry, there's no question. Oh, even, well, even there's more to come Margaret. of this. There's more to come. come so 948-49 back in Australia, that summer is most remarkable because Don Bradman retires for good this time. He'd retired before and come yeah. back, but this time he's 40. He has a testimonial match in Melbourne. Don holds Keith back in the batting order. 
so when the crowds fall, he then wants Keith to come out and be because he knows Keith is entertaining. It's a testimonial. Keith comes out and just doesn't care and just tries to hit sixes off every ball and goes out almost straight away. Right. And Bradman, Miller says, when I was out, I saw Bradman looking at me with disgust written all over his face and clearly he thought I'd not concentrate and did not care. My feeling about this was that Bradman, like so many others, took the game too seriously. Cricket was meant to be enjoyed at all levels and I certainly enjoyed it as such. Yeah. They then play another testimonial for two other players and Bradman and Miller on opposite sides. This is in the same summer. And everyone's excited because it's Bradman batting and Miller bowling. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, this is going to be good. Miller knows Bradman's expecting him to bowl a bouncer at his head in the first yes. bowl. So he does. And Bradman strokes it right to the boundary, yeah. right? And Bradman's sort of like grateful to Keith. They're like, yeah. oh, you're Thank showing you. that I can still do this kind yeah. of thing, you know. Keith decides to bowl another one faster and harder <laughs> at his head. <laughs> This is a testimonial match. It's not a real match. Yeah. He says, I bowled this second bouncer for the amusement of the crowd because it's an entertaining testimonial. Sure. That's why I did it. This time, though, Bradman doesn't laugh. Bradman just stares. This is in, in his book, Miller says, he looked daggers at me. For, so for sheer devilment, I decided to give him the third <laughs> bumper. So he bowls at his heads again. Bradman sees he's about to do this at the last second, gets in a position to hook but doesn't and goes out, hits the uh, ball in the air and gets caught. So Bradman crikey. is, this might be his last kind of game, you know, even though it's a test but he's, he's given him a send-off. He's had three bounces and gone out on the third one. A week later it's announced a tour of South Africa. Bradman is no longer captain but is a selector. Yeah. It's announced Miller has not been selected. Wow. Miller thinks very much it's to do with the bouncers. The bouncers. <laughs> there's three men on the thing. They all swear they voted for him. He goes, someone's lying because yeah. there's only three of you. So it's not possible that you all voted yes, yes. and I'm not on. So, uh, the media are furious he's not going to South because yeah. it's just it's so obvious he should be playing. Correct. And South Africans are furious because yeah, he's he, the he biggest. on seats. This is the biggest draw card. I mean, this he's now getting into in Brand. the media and everything because of like the rumours of the affair with Princess Margaret have been in the paper yeah. and all this. He is like a combination of a Hollywood star. He's known as the Casanova of the crease is how they describe him, right? <laughs> so he is like, you know, a movie star cross with... I thought that was Boonie. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's our, that's our, that's our Casanova of the crease. Uh, finally, he um, does get told. One of the players gets injured over in South Africa. He gets called up. But it's but not like you can pop him on a plane. Well, you can put him on a boat. He's, he almost misses the trip after arriving late at the dock in Perth after a drunken night out. The next boat was not leaving for several weeks. <laughs> so he just made it. So anyway, he starts playing and now he's entrenched in the team. He's playing, he's going at um, Ashes in Australia, does a West Indies tour, goes to Pakistan. He becomes captain of New South Wales. Mm. So this is where they see him as having some leadership here and they also know he's bums on seats. And this is, you got to remember, in Australia at the time, Sheffield Shield meant something because you'd have whole summers where there wouldn't be an international tour. Yeah. So it was only Sheffield Shield sure. for the whole summer. And people went and loved I miss it. those days. Yeah, so he was really in. One time he was asked as New South Wales captain, a reporter said he'd taken seven wickets for 12 runs, which is amazing if you're not a cricket fan. And they said, oh, can you sum up you know, how you did it? Mm. He said, well, there's three reasons. First, I bowled bloody well. Second, uh, second oh, well, you can forget the other two reasons. <laughs> 
Another time as captain, he's giving a speech at a, a mayor is holding a farewell. They've been in a New South Wales team in a country town. Yeah. It's the mid-50s and he's called upon his captain to go out and say some words at this function. Yeah. Keith steps up to the microphone and he says, my lord, uh, your worship, lord, uh, ladies and gentlemen of this uh, magnificent town of... Uh, 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 never anywhere have I or my players received so marvellous and hospitable a welcome as here in this famous New Wales, this New South Wales town of um, uh, uh, anyway, you cannot imagine just what a delight <laughs> and honour it has been for us to be here in this splendid town, uh, uh, city. Uh, I've played uh, cricket in many parts of the world, and you may not know this, but I've never received such kindness as during the past few hours in this superb city of uh. Uh, at this stage, Keith turns around and says to Richie Benno, for Christ's <laughs> sakes, Richie, what's the effing name of this effing town? <laughs> the next day he turns up late to a coaching clinic for the kids. Instead of teaching, he made a speech and he advised the children to play tennis as there was more money on offer. <laughs> Another occasion he takes the field and the umpire says, you've got too many People on the field. Yeah. So he just turns around and goes, all right, one of you blokes got to piss off. <laughs> That's his old, old captain. Yeah. He um, also got hauled before the authorities because in one match, Sid Barnes, who was the 12th man, so if you don't know cricket, they're sort of the on the bench. Fill in. But they fill in if someone gets injured, basically. They often used to, at this level, bring out the drinks and stuff. So it was drinks breaks. Sid Barnes comes out, who played for Australia and everything, very sure. good cricketer, and he came out dressed as a flight attendant with a cart that had cigars, mirrors and combs and deodorant <laughs> on it and all this and he served everyone all of this Gold. and it delayed, there was a complaint because it delayed the drink break. So this is all happening where there's all this, uh, you know, stuff going on. He once showed up in the morning for a match still in his tux from the previous <laughs> evening's party yeah. and he finally got he got out of it into his cricket whites, walked out on the field and just said to his teammates, scatter. <laughs> just filled wherever he wants And then he takes seven wickets for 12 runs. Of course he does. 1953, they're back in England. And Keith, this is just the tour he loves, right? This is, he's back. He's still young enough at this age. At the height 30, of his powers. height of his powers. He's in London Park Lane Hotel having a great time. And one day he comes home in the morning. He's in a wrinkled suit. He's got a dark red tie on and he's got a black eye. <laughs> And four young English autograph hunters swarm him as he comes in the hotel. And he says, I have to get the Lord's boys. They're just boys, yeah. young kids. I have to get the Lord's boys, gets into a taxi and says, want to come? And they're like, really? And he goes, yeah, come on. So they all jump in the taxi with him and he signs their books and chats to them. Yeah. And then they arrive at the ground. He just waves them in Fantastic. and he lets them watch Australia train. So Brilliant. he just says, yeah, you can train. The Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, happens to be at Lord's this day while the Australians, he sees the Australians are training yes. out on the ground. He's opening the Imperial Cricket Museum and he sends a message down, would the team come and have a drink with me in the long room after the game? Sure. Well, Miller's the only one that shows up because the rest all see it as a pain. They don't want to do yeah. it. And so the Duke's not impressed but it makes him love Miller even, even more because Miller yeah. rocks up and he notices Miller's got a black eye. And he's, <laughs> again. And he's again, right? So every time he meets him, he's got and – and so the first thing Prince Philip says is, how's our husband? 
And Miller says, I fell down some stairs and the Duke laughed and turned to the journalist who was next to them, a strange and says, you don't believe that, do you? So this is what's going on. Okay. They also have gone invited once again to Buckingham Palace. Okay. And Miller was rumoured with the Prince Margaret stuff, everyone was not sure what's happening. But at this point she was having an affair with a guy called Peter Townsend who was a divorcee and wasn't right. she wasn't allowed to marry him. Yeah. But Miller and her were still friends but we don't think they were we seeing each other happening. at that point. But when they arrive at Buckingham Palace, everyone starts walking one way towards the main gates and Miller starts heading another way and one of his teammates goes, where are you going? And he says, oh, it's okay. I know of another entrance here which they put down as okay. more, you know. Yeah. Another time you, he, he wanted to attend an afternoon race meeting, go see the horses, but he was opening the batting against Cambridge University in one of the tour matches. So he attacks the bowling and was out for 20 because he's like, I'm here for it. I've got to get to the track. Job done. He goes to the track and stays till late afternoon and then surprised when he gets back, the Australians have all been bowled out and it's time to field. <laughs> <laughs> and Australia also went and played another game and some of them were arrested. So after the first day's play, he's captain in this minor game and he organised a party that lasted until the next afternoon on the rest day. So it right. went all the night and all through the rest day. Lucky they had a rest day. He woke up with a hangover the next day just minutes before the start of play. So he organised for a hearse to drive him to the cricket ground. <laughs> so he could lie down. <laughs> to, show how, yeah, to show how hungover he was. <laughs> like he just didn't, you know what I mean, he just didn't, yeah. he didn't care. Despite all this, in the 53 test series that they were there for that year, he scored over 2,000 runs and had over 100 wickets. Unbelievable. So he was like, absolutely. Yeah. Despite all this, he's constantly, when he's back home, overlooked for the captaincy. Everyone is saying it, it should be him. And Bradman is the reason. Years later, Sir Donald was accused of disliking him. And he said, dislike Keith Miller. How could anyone help but liking Keith? And this is the Bradman personality. He very much likes Keith. He yeah. thinks he's a very good cricketer that doesn't live up to his standards. Yeah. But he would never put him in as captain. captain. He just doesn't think he's and – he, and in some ways you could argue Bradman might be right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be captain of Australia and turn up in a hearse. No. I think these are the – That's right. Uh, in the cold light of day, yeah. uh, Bradman, there may be something to it. He's getting old at this point now. It's getting towards the twilight of his career. 55-56 season, he's all domestic cricket. He starts with 164 runs against Queensland. But on the final day, they look like they're cruising to victory. He lengthens the innings break by seven minutes because he tells the officials he wants to watch the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> that means that Queensland managed to hold on in the afternoon because it's about 13 minutes shorter, the oh final my session. God. So basically Queensland managed to hold on to the draw just because Miller had delayed the You thing. can't be kept. Yeah, so that was one thing. Another time Miller's wife in a game against South Australia, Miller's wife gave birth to their fourth child and Miller sat up drinking into the next morning and he arrived at the SCG but he'd forgotten to pick up one of his teammates so he had to rush back and pick him <laughs> up. Despite all this, thanks to Miller, New South Wales win the Sheffield Shield again, which they're right. always winning. Yeah. So 1956, it's his third and final tour of England. Miller's 37, his back's pretty stuffed at this point. He makes friends with a tall, pretty young woman as described in the newspaper, a 19-year-old Pat Williams who's a receptionist and he chats to her a lot, who knows what else, and he says, "When you, uh, if you ever want, come to Australia and I'll look after you and be a legal guardian till you turn 21 because she's 18. What an offer. And he says, you can live with us. And she's like, oh, I might take you off on that offer. 
Miller then also goes to the Royal Ascot races during the tour and he's photographed with one of his girlfriends, he's yes. got many girlfriends, who's a former Miss Victoria, uh, Beverly Prowse, who he's begun seeing quite a lot on this tour. Okay. And the shot is outside the Kensington Palace Hotel and they'd spent the night there the night before and this picture makes all the Australian newspapers. Okay. Right? Not good. Um, it just shows them standing there. The, I'll put the oh, photo no, on the Discord for the members. But it's, 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 yeah. So he takes her to the races. And at the races, a friend from his flying days, Max Aitken, who's the son of the newspaper proprietor, Lord Beaverbrook, who owned the you know, London Express, he meets Miller for champagne. He takes him aside and he says, Look, you're getting close to the end, aren't you, Keith? Keith's like, Yeah. And he goes, I tell you what, we'll give you £10,000 to write a book, which is a lot at the wow. time. And then we also want you to offer you £7,500 to cover the Australian Ashes in Australia for us and a bunch of other tours totaling up to £25,000. Miller is at the races where he loves. He's with Miss Victoria. He's drinking and he's just been offered <laughs> enough money to secure his, like it make him yeah. well off into his retirement. So he's feeling really, really good. And he rings Peg that night. And says, I got this job offer, it's going to make us secure for the rest of our lives. And then she mentions she's seen the photo in the paper. Mm. She says, I've already seen the photo, dear. And uh, Miller says, she was only some Australian model. And Peg says, yes, dear. And if that's your story, you stick to it, dear. So Peg knows. Yeah. And they have this kind of weird unwritten rule. Don't, don't ask, don't tell. Don't ask, don't tell. And what you do is in, in England is fine. But when you're back here. Here on the straight and narrow. It's a very sophisticated, I don't think Peg's civilized. happy. I think she loves Miller. Yeah, yeah, you're all <laughs> You're like, why isn't everyone doing this? Look at that in writing. <laughs> but, but Peg's like realises divorce this time's messy. You don't do it. It's you know. It's yeah. going to you know. She, so who's going to provide all that? It's it's a time where women and and men can't get divorced easily. Yeah. She's decided it's better to be in the tent and just ignore this, raise the four boys, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The next day, Miller has partied all night with Prowls, yes. and a mate of his, Ted Rippon, who played for for Essendon in football, he arrives at the hotel room. He knocks on the door because he's getting some tickets. And he hears a voice yell out, come in, Ted, the tickets are on the table. And he walks in and you can see the door of the bathroom's open and Miller's in the shower with prowls. And he goes, this is just what Miller's like, yeah. right? Miller's also in touch with Princess Margaret and he gets invited over there and it's all reported in the media. He's gone to lunch with Princess Margaret. and So now it's coming to the point where he can't get away with this stuff Right. Like he once could. The yes. media is starting to take starting pictures to and circulate it and all this. This last tour of England's a disaster for him. He bats terribly, doesn't play well. Okay. He's he's done. He announces he's going to retire. Peg inherits sixty thousand pounds for her father and buys this uh, new uh, property. And so basically she is also in this position now where she's financially set up. Yeah. So Miller brings Prouse back to Australia and sets her up just a few kilometres down the road from where he and Peg live. You idiot. So he's never done this before. It's yeah. always been at arms. Rules there, of what arms. And Peg is furious because she's like, this is, everyone knows, yeah. they see you around town. It's not in London. It's not in a, your, you know. Yeah. He says, well, I, I need some time for my own self. So they basically have a trial separation. And a week or so in this arrangement, Peg takes the boys around to see their dad at, 
where he's staying with Prowse. And Miller opens the door, looks at them and goes, never come around without warning me and shuts the door. And the boys are significantly... That's disappointing. A few of them have heroin addictions, okay. which is all very public in the future. They have a rough life. He was not... He's neglected his He's family. a neglected father. He's very much obvious. It's the typical thing, war, never talks about that. Yeah. Lives his own distant life, distant father. Grown apart over time. Yeah, just, you know. So it's an odd time when they're there. Even worse, in the middle of while this is happening, the 18-year-old secretary, Pat Williams, shows up on the boat and says, I'm here to come live with you. (laughs) And Peg has to come and meet her with Keith and she just knows exactly what's going on. And this is like one of those, Keith was probably drunk when he said, yeah, come out. I can't remember. Yeah, but she shows up. The media show up and find out about it and Peg has to be interviewed. And this is where I'm very impressed by Peg. They say, oh, how long is Patricia staying with you guys? And they're all sort of waiting for her. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah, let you try and get her to blow up. And she says, oh, as long as she wants. We're, We're crowded, but there's always room for more. No problem at all. She just plays it so smart, right? She's very impressive. Fun's gone out of it a bit. It was a bit of fun when he was bar flying around Europe. Yeah, it's not as... He brought his stuff home with him and it's... I think Miller would have been one of those guys that he's almost two different people. He's one person in Australia, which is a neglectful father in many ways, and his kids have said this. They've been estranged for him over the years and stuff and not a great husband and all that. And then he goes to England and he turns into like, if he'd never got married, he probably would have been happy. Yeah, very happy. So, for example, when he's back in England, he's retired now, but he goes back every year. So one time he's over there, he had a good win at the races and he goes to Northampton's county ground with some friends to watch cricket. He notices that this guy worked as a gateman who'd been there his whole career was no longer there. He says, well, where is he? And they said, oh, well, you know, he's now too frail to stand up all day. He doesn't do that job anymore, but here's his address. So Miller shows up. These guys are in their 70s. They're delighted. Keith Miller's just shown up and Keith remembers him and says, oh, I missed you. And he's in their house and he sees a 1930s wooden radio, but there's no television. And he says, oh, you don't care for TV? And they said, oh, we love TV. Our neighbour's got one, but we couldn't possibly afford it. And Keith said, oh, okay. Next morning a door knocks and there's a TV set. So Miller's doing all this thing. Another time there's a friend of his, Betty, who'd worked with him in the war at their Air Force base. Mm. She'd come into a sizable inheritance, so she was quite rich. He shows up to see her and this unkempt man opens the door. Who are you, the man says to Miller. He says, I'm an old friend of Betty. Where is she? He's suspicious but lets him in. And he says, oh, hi, Betty, I want to take you out to lunch. So Keith and her go to lunch. And he says, who's that bloke in the house? And Betty's like a bit fearful. But he says, whatever happens, I'll help you. And she says, I hired him as a gardener, but he's moved in and now he's taking over. He's made me a prisoner in my home. He tells everyone that I'm crazy, so no one wants anything to do with me. He says, I've gone nuts to everyone. They all believe him. Miller takes her home, says, don't say anything, goes to the policeman, says, this is happening. And the policeman said, oh, her, she's a nutter. And Keith says, who told you that? And she goes, everyone knows. And he goes, yeah, but who told you? And she goes, oh, well, the gardener. And he says, well, I've known her since the war. She hasn't changed. She's not crazy. This guy's a problem. You need to do something. And they said, no. So Miller says, okay. Goes out and calls the head of Scotland Yard, who's a friend. (laughs) The gardener's investigated. It's discovered there's a warrant out for his arrest and he's done it to multiple women and he's arrested and jailed. So he's this complete other guy. Another time 
in April 1995, he's with his old mate Gus Glendening in Melbourne's come to visit him at the Flemington races. And they're drinking at the pub of uh, VFL footballer Brian Roberts. Whale Roberts? Whale, yep. Still well going. known. Miller says to Roberts, next time you're in London, come see me and we'll hang out. So they come over and they're at Lord's and Robert says, I'm at Lord's and he's wearing shorts and thongs, which is not a dress code no. for the MCC members, right? No. But Miller goes up the doorman, Frank, who works at the entry of the MCC members area, and goes, Frank, this is Whale. I want to show him the long room. If you don't let him in, I'll throw you over the balcony. <laughs> and they say, that's fine, Keith. So Roberts is shown through the long room in shorts and thongs Fantastic. and no member dares a, yeah. a care. Miller also learns of Ernie Toshak, who's a former Invincibles teammate in a Sydney hospital, and Miller visits him. He understands he's not good. So he brings in a bottle of whiskey, smuggles it in, waits for the nurse to leave and then they sit up all night drinking the bottle of whiskey. Miller goes to leaves and falls over and knocks himself unconscious in the hospital room. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end, Miller is getting old and he has cancer, skin cancer, he's broken his hip, he's in a wheelchair a lot and he's had multiple strokes. Okay. The family will say of this time that he's not himself and this might even have gone back and explained some of his behaviour over some of the years. Peg's 82, so they're both in their 80s. He decides to get a divorce and marry a 56-year-old woman called Marie Cowlman, which shocks Peg and the boys basically break off their relationships with him. Yeah. So this is the quandary of Miller. He's both large and life fun but there's this you know, cost for it's it all. Just, yeah, a weak it. spot. Even though this is all happening, they said, you know, what do you think about death? He was asked not long before he died. He said, never think about it. No regrets. I've had a hell of a good life. Been damn lucky. Peg passes away in November 2003. He misses the funeral because he's too. he can't travel by plane anymore. He's just, right. not, it's more, he's just not. Apparently he is devastated by this. Yep. He dies at the age of 84 on the 11th of October 2004. He was only at the time of his death one of three Australians to be honoured with a portrait in the famed long rooms at Lords. The others were Sir Don Bradman, Victor Trumper, and since then Shane Warne has been added, so yep. he's now four. He gets a state funeral. John Bradman, the son of Sir Donald, was asked to speak at the funeral by Keith and he actually says that, look, Bradman and Miller didn't get along in many ways, but Miller and Bradman also got along in other ways. He said, we were often babysat by Miller and Dad and him actually got along very well off the field. It was yeah. more an on-the-field thing. The Miller boys, uh, Bill, Peter, Dennis and Bob, had all reconciled their father just before his death and they carried the coffin. Ian Chappell got up and spoke and actually paid tribute to Peggy Miller because he felt she was being written out a bit of the story. Yes. Miller wrote in 1956, long before his death, I have numerous failings, but then I've never set myself up as a shining example of proprietary. Yet whatever my faults, I have no time for the half-truth. I like to call a spade a spade. And that is Keith Miller. Here, here. Well done. What an epic yarn. It's a crazy tale. It is unbelievable. And I don't want to excuse him, but it's that generation that went to the war. Yeah. There is, I've met a lot of them in like over the years. They didn't come back and ha- adjust. And uh, I don't know if Keith uh, ever would have. They didn't come have. back and, and live an ordinary suburban it was almost like like normal could, life. Yeah, yeah, and there's almost like this thing with Keith where he can't go back into it. Like it's his – I'm yes. not trying to excuse everything he did either, but there was no mental health care no, that's right. or anything. Yeah. There was no, you know, 
And the family seemed to think a lot of like his later behavior was like stroke related. Yeah. But I think also he was just, you know, he was, he was this weird character that just. It's like, a great story. It's in the modern day, he would have just probably got divorced, wouldn't he? And women wouldn't have uh, probably accepted that as a binding relationship either. That's you know right. what I mean? Things have changed. They're probably happier than most for most of the time. It's a wild ride. But it's, it's worth exploring that six months on, six months off. Like I'll go put it to <laughs> I'll get something drawn up, but the chances of this passing are slim. Now, uh, we should say before we go, this was our last for the year. We've had a fun year this year. But you have plans. What are they? Well, we've got bonus episodes coming from members. So, yes. you know, you can if you want a bit more content for a few more weeks, we've got bonus episodes still come out. But uh, we can't thank everyone enough for listening. Yes. We have had a ball this year. It's been great fun. Uh, thanks for your support. And uh, we've, it's encouraged us enough to do it again. If you're interested, we do have a membership program. That gets you a bonus podcast every week. And to maybe incentivize you to join up, Here's a short outtake from our bonus episode. The best hangover cure. I'll give it to you. It's simple. And, and this, so, can I just preface this before you even say it? This is someone who, if Mick Malloy is telling you he knows a cure for a hangover, he this does. This is sad, but this is my particular sphere of knowledge yeah, this that is, I excel at. This is Don Bradman saying, let me give you some batting advice. If you're some grasshopper-like <laughs> advice in this area, I'm going to tell you, there's yeah. only one jump in the ocean. If you jump in the ocean, yeah, it, it, and it has to be an ocean, not a pool, uh, no domestic body of water. Yeah, jump in the ocean, salt water, and get out. I guarantee you, you are good to go. You're good to go. Yep. It's a bit hard when you're. It in is the, the greatest. Of it's like a. That's <laughs> not my problem. It's a three day drive. That's my problem. <laughs> so does that work every time? Ah, uh, mate, it's the only thing. Uh, someone do a test on it, but I guarantee you. If you do that, yeah. you will. You might not get 100%, 70% of your food. And a pool won't do. You reckon it's the salt Pool's water? Pool's not going to do it. It's salt water. It's your body. It's a bit of a shock to the system. It's like an exosketch. Just and, like, like the swipe clean. Like the swipe clean. It is. It, lock it in. What I've just told you Gee. is absolutely rolled gold. <laughs> and now I'm waiting for beach drownings to go up as all these hungover people <laughs> dive in the ocean. Try to spend so much time at my beach house. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a short clip from our bonus episode each week for members who join our Bazaar Plus program. Simply go to the link in the show notes or go to bazaarplus.com.